worms crawl in, the worms crawl out. They'll eat your guts and spit them out. And when your bones begin to rot, the worms remain, but you do not. So don't ever laugh as a hearse goes by. For someday you'll be next in line. And when death brings his cold despair, ask yourself, will anyone care? Macabre may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Well, we're back. <laughs> we're back Welcome for to another. <laughs> we're back for another round of awkwardness. My <laughs> name is Holly, and I'm Blair. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us. All right, so we're going to try to be less awkward this time, or at least me. Um, okay, it's too late for me. <laughs> so just to tell you how the morning started, I have been up since like 1.30 my time because Damn. I decided to get dreads installed yesterday yeah. and didn't realize how difficult it is to sleep on them. So <laughs> words of warning, if you ever get synthetic dreads, they are very challenging to sleep on. But anywho, I'm starting my morning off with a little, what do you call it? A hot toddy. Ooh. <laughs> this is a little bit of peanut butter whiskey and coffee. That so that's sounds delicious. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> Hi- highly recommend. It helps with the awkwardness, I think. At least that, that's <laughs> that. I'm going to stick with them. Heck yeah. <laughs> Do I have an exciting episode for you today, listeners? Yeah. And Blair, I know that I you've been waiting wait. on this one. Yes. <laughs> Be- B is the title of this episode, but I don't want to give it away just yet. But if you already read the title on the podcast, then you know. Yeah. I don't know how to flip it and reverse it, but (laughs) as Missy Elliott says. I was just thinking that too. (laughs) I can't do the sound or the reverse, but anyways. (laughs) All right. Are you ready for this? Heck yeah. Are you ready? Okay. So on today's episode, I've got bed chains and peeping toms, but it's not oh what you think it is. It's not <laughs> what you think it is. It's actually much worse. So we're going to dig into the history of what was probably one of the most terrifying places a person could find themselves in the 17th and 18th centuries. This place is so infamous, in fact, that its name is now synonymous with the words chaos and mayhem. And that institution is London's most notorious psychiatric hospital, Bedlam Asylum, which you probably heard of, right? Yes. <laughs> I'm oh, doing I the am little. So excited! I'm. You can't see <laughs> the listeners can't see, but I'm doing the little like evil finger good, taps. Good. <laughs> so, Bedlam actually had many different names throughout its history. It was the first psychiatric asylum in England, and it was founded all the way back in 1247 during the reign of Henry III. No shit. And believe it or not, it has been in continuous operation since that time. Holy shit. I didn't know it was that old. I didn't know that psychiatric asylums went back that far in our history, to be honest. So Damn. This is why I love doing research, because... The macabre is fascinating to me, but I learn something every single time. And right. that's that's why I love 
doing what we're doing and hopefully we continue to be able to do this. Um, Agreed. But yeah, so in the beginning, it was known as the Priory of the New Order of Our Lady of Bethlehem, which is a mouthful. The name yeah. <laughs> changed over the years with different variations of the former, St. Mary Bethlehem, Bethlehem Royal Hospital, and Bethlehem Hospital. So for the sake of this episode, I'm going to keep it simple, and I'm just going to refer to it as Bedlam. Fair enough. So, <laughs> so <laughs> when I think of Bedlam, I think of absolute chaos, human suffering. But early in its history, it was actually a place uh, that was intended to care for the poor, and it was actually really well-respected in the community. So at the time, the treatments that they used were considered contemporary. And as you know, uh, kind of during the medieval times, they believed that there were four humors in the body. And when those humors were out of balance, they had to find a way to restore that balance. And they also had this idea that mental illness was something that originated in the body and not the mind. So some of the things that they did back then that no one really would bat an eye at at the time was what they called use of strong medicines, which that probably could have been a number of things and bloodletting or, you know, probably using leeches and things like that. And that was just totally accepted. So it wasn't anything out of the norm whatsoever, which we kind of cringe at that. But oh, yeah, <laughs> as as we go through the episode, that's like the least of that's nothing. I would take that any day for, yeah. you know, what, what's about to come next. Um, so all was pretty well until 1377. And that's when the hospital started taking what they coined or called insane patients. And obviously, there is very little documentation about this time period, with the exception of one record that dates to 1403 that mentions the use of four pairs of manacles, 11 chains, six locks, and two pairs of stocks. So for people who don't Damn. know what manacles are, they're just basically old-timey handcuffs. Yep. And stocks, if you've watched any, like, medieval movies, you probably are familiar with, like, when people have their arms or their head or their ankles through these holes... And it's like a wooden block that kind of restrained them. So there's different versions, but they had them. And there's no record of like what they actually used them for. But you could probably imagine <laughs> it yeah. was a way to restrain people. So what they were doing beyond that, I don't know. Um, so that's really all that I could find kind of during that time period in my research, just for lack of documentation. Um, but then it, the institution in 1547 was granted by Henry VIII to the city of London as a hospital for the mentally ill. So that's what it really became known as. What an outstanding as. gentleman. <laughs> Which we're going <laughs> to talk about him soon, I think, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, like, what the reasoning was behind this. If he was trying to make a statement and some sort of, like, oh, I want to take care of the people. Like, I don't know the reasoning behind that. I don't know a lot about him other than he was a horrible person. Mm -hmm. um, but you're going to you're gonna fill me in on that later. So I'm excited about that. Oh, yeah. But 
fun fact. So once he granted that to the city of London, fun fact for anyone who goes to visit London, which this is now on my bucket list. Next time you're in London, take a trip to the Liverpool station and you'll be standing on the original site of the hospital. So where the Liverpool station is now, that used to be Bedlam. And it was at that spot for 400 years until the building started to fall apart. So (laughs) had a pretty good run up until that point. Um, But yeah, so the building started falling apart. Not only that, but it sat on top of a sewer that overflowed quite regularly. So needless to say, (laughs) the conditions I'm sure inside were pretty freaking gross. Um, One might say pretty shitty. Pretty shitty is a good explanation. (laughs) (laughs) Pun intended. Pun intended. Uh, Pun intended. Pun me. So, pun me. So, uh, (laughs) the hospital actually survived the London fire in 1666, which is miraculous in itself. Um, But because it was, you know, so far decayed at that point, how old it was, it looked like a shithole. The city was like, eh, we need to we need to overhaul this. So they rebuilt it in 1676. And at that time, it was unlike anything they had the world had ever seen as far as asylums. It was constructed in the same style as um, the French estate in Versailles. And it looked like a palace. It had these beautiful manicured gardens and these tall Corinthian columns. And so from the outside, it was a it was a marvel. You know, people would want to come mm-hmm. see it and look at it. But that was hundred percent a facade. The interior and the foundation of the building were in stark contrast to the gilded exterior. The foundation was unsteady, and the wall at the back of the building had these huge, large cracks in it because of the shitty foundation that the cracks, when it would rain, water would leak into the building. Oh. So there was probably, like, issues with mold and Mm -hmm. who knows what else. But the hidden decay and the pristine exterior of the hospital were, like, a perfect metaphor for what was actually happening inside the building. So now we're going to get into what I know as Bedlam and (laughs) the darkest period of its history, in my opinion. Again, I don't know about the medieval times. It probably was pretty terrible, but this is what we know of because of documentation and inspections and things like that. So let's get into the dark history. Uh, Bedlam's patients were from all walks of life, but most of them were either poor, intellectually disabled, or they were just people that were outspoken against the political system, families who didn't want to deal with the challenges of mental illness in their family would send those people to Bedlam because they just didn't want to deal with it or didn't know how to deal with it, which is Mm -hmm. really, really sad, tragic. Very theory. And honestly, I think women faced a lot of the challenge of this time period because I don't think it was at all uncommon. It probably happened more often than anyone would want to think about that a husband who 
was tired of his wife and didn't believe in divorce or, you know, was just dealing with what he thought was a difficult wife would yep. send his wife away to this place. Um, and most of them were probably just dealing with things that are common, you know, like I have anxiety, I have periods of depression, like that's just a normal part of our human existence. And right. these people were sent to a really, really terrible place. And basically were kept prisoner there. So it's, it's, it's truly terrifying. I can't imagine what that would be like to yeah. be sane. And then everything you're going to hear pretty soon, like, I, I just don't know how anybody could, could live through that. I feel so, like if they weren't mad, they would be driven mad. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. So it was really at this time that the Londoners began referring to the hospital as Bedlam. And now we're going to get into what I think it's most famous for are the actual treatments. So <laughs> I know, cringe. <laughs> Yeah. So if you if you're squeamish or you're you just don't really want to hear this, you might want to just skip the rest of the episode and just move on <laughs> to the to the next episode. <laughs> um the yeah. treatments administered to patients were enough to make a sane person completely mad, which is what you just said. <laughs> treatments included recurring in, inducing recurring bouts of vomiting and diarrhea bleeding patients from their veins. They would have their head shaved and were often submerged repeatedly into cold baths. Their skin would be blistered from caustic substances administered by the staff. And these treatments were administered repeatedly for as long as, quote, the patient still had enough strength to bear it. And so not surprisingly, Ooh. this led to a lot of deaths. So they mm -hmm. thought they would just shit it out of you, vomit out of you. I don't know where these standards came from, but to rid you of the humors, which it, definitely was not very fucking humorous. No, no. <laughs> and I mean the conditions were beyond inhumane. Men and women were chained naked to the walls to the beds. They lived in cramped quarters. They were left to writhe in their own filth. They weren't bathed other than the cold water baths. They were often isolated. So that was part of the treatment was to isolate them and then shove them back into whatever this communal mess was. But wait, there's more. And this <laughs> oh, is probably... <laughs> this, in my opinion, is probably one of the worst, and I'll explain why. But Fun fact, the grandfather of Charles Darwin, his name was Erasmus Darwin, he invented a treatment for patients called rotational therapy. And what that is, is he would put people in chairs that were suspended in the air, and he would spin them 20 to 40 times in one direction, as fast or as slow as he wanted to, and then he'd let the chair spin back the opposite direction and would repeat this for up to four hours per session. That was him that invented that? That was him. Oh. Yes. So hours of spinning and vomiting from intense vertigo. 
He claimed that purging helped cure madness and believed that the therapy also helped the patient sleep better. (laughs) Yeah, you pass out. A quick tangent. I get vertigo super, super easy. I actually have something called Meniere's disease, which just basically means that it's really easy for me to get vertigo. Like there's something Mm -hmm. going on with the equilibrium of my ears. And, you know, I have to take like over-counter Dramamine sometimes. And sometimes I'll just wake up in the middle of the night and have it. It's pretty terrible. Um, But... I went to Universal in Florida, and I'm a huge Harry Potter nerd. And so the first thing that I wanted to do when I got there was there's this ride that's supposed to be like a immersive Harry Potter experience. And you go inside this building and you get strapped into this ride. And then it's like the floor to ceiling and the walls are all like this 3D projection and your chair's whipping around. And I just, I did not plan that well, because as soon as I got in that chair and it was moving around and the 3D stuff was like, I was so screwed up. Like I was trying not to vomit while it was on the ride. I was that person. Um, Once I got off the ride, like I was like, please let this in, please let this in, please let this in. I immediately went back to the hotel and that was the end of my day. That was the only thing I saw at Universal. Oh no. So, so for I'm me, so <laughs> rotational therapy would have been my worst nightmare. Um, I think it's pretty safe to say it was pretty fucking awful for the people who had to endure it. So, yeah. Oh, we're now going to take this a whole other level. Um, during the mid 1700s, London's population expanded rapidly, and at the same time treatment of patients within the family homes declined. So naturally, the population of the asylum drastically increased. Around the same time, Bedlam became a hotspot for tourism, of all things. So essentially, it was a human zoo. The hospital accepted tens of thousands of paying visitors every year, making it a top tourist attraction for Londoners. It's estimated that at least 96,000 people came to visit the asylum yearly, and they were paying to be there. People weren't just showing up to take a leisurely stroll through the gardens. They were literally peeping toms for as little as a penny. They could get access to Bedlam's wards in order to stare at, taunt, and even abuse the patients. It was a vile and voyeuristic practice that fed deeper into the depravity of the institution. And this went on for a while. Like it was like legitimately, they said most of the Londoners, if you lived in London, this is a thing that you did. I am speechless. Yeah. Literally insult to injury with everything else going on. I had no idea. Like when I think of Bedlam, I, you know, you see the pictures, like the illustrations of just the conditions and all that. Like I had no idea that people were paying to see people being mistreated and like took part in it. And I just. Yeah, I had no idea. And part of it doesn't shock me when you look at how different, very odd things were very popular in the Victorian era. I mean, very darker interests were at hand with society in general. And that was just the norm. 
Well, it's interesting too, because there was a certain kind of optimism at that time. You know, yeah. people were really hopeful and excited about change, but it's like, what is it about human nature that wants to exploit Yeah, people that are suffering? And yeah, so that was probably one of the most disturbing things about doing this research is just seeing how... I mean, obviously the staff and the people that were administering these, these treatments were one problem, mm -hmm. but then just like, you know, well, I'll tell you in a second, but <laughs> anyways, <laughs> um, oh. so, but it wasn't, it wasn't just looky-loos that came to Bedlam so because of the, the increase in the number of visitors, it attracted prostitutes, pickpockets, people that were selling like food and drinks Peddlers came there, pretty much anybody that had something that they wanted to sell, they would set up shop and sell shit to the tourists. What? Yeah. One, one man was quoted in his writings about Bedlam. He said that it was an alms house for a madman, a showing room for whores, a sure market for lechers, and a dry walk for loiterers. Despite all of this, macabre Londoners could not get enough. Yeah. So. What the some of the some of the most popular times to visit the asylum were Christmas and Easter. What? Which I which I find really interesting because it's like, oh, let's let's plan a fun family activity during the holidays. Let's pack up the kids and yeah. head on over to the insane asylum. Hey, kids, we have a special treat for you. <laughs> Hope you uh, have a strong stomach and are holding that Christmas goose in. All right, we're about to take you on a wild ride. What well, and the then it's like, fuck? well, then it's like, what if they put their uncle Charles in the insane asylum because they didn't yeah. want to deal with them, and they're like, let's go visit Uncle Charles, you know? <laughs> oh no! The fact that it's Christmas <laughs> and Easter that just really blows my mind. Yeah, like that's not how I want to spend Christmas or Easter. No. So, fun Let's fact go number see Uncle Charlie, kids. You can get some candy there too. You <laughs> it's know, right so in terrible. front of his house, in his little room there, they'll be selling candy, and you can get one. It's all right. What the terrible. fuck? Oh my gosh, yeah. this is so absolutely <laughs> disgusting. It is so. When that started happening, like, and the sheer number of people that were coming to visit it started to incite some riots. The visitors were rioting and the patients finally were like rioting because this was such a nightmare. So by 1770, admission of tourists was tightened because of this fact. So thank God that happened. Yeah. By, by 1780, so it took 10 years from when they started tightening up on that, that, um, the rules were changed that outsiders were only allowed access if they were accompanied by the governor or some sort of senior officer. Hmm. So you would think that's a good thing, right? Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> so no. <laughs> the, the, tightening, the tightening of visitations was both good and bad. Now that less of the public were seeing what was happening inside of Bedlam's walls, conditions actually got worse. And the hospital became more secretive than ever because they weren't having people come in and complaining or whatnot. They could just keep it all a secret. So at one point, mm. someone from the outside was like, 
we got to start taking a look at this, right? So it mm-hmm. took probably another 30 years, but then inspectors at London, London's um, Bedlam Madhouse came to visit in 1814 and they made a macabre discovery. Although Bedlam was supposed to be the foremost psychiatric institution in Britain at the time, the inspectors said that it had, and I quote, the appearance of a dog kennel. Oh! So now we're going to get into one of the most well-documented. I'll give you a little snippet of that. Um, One of the most famous documented cases of inhumane treatment was that of James Norris, who was an American Marine. An inspector visiting Bedlam found him in Bedlam's what they called incurable wing. Norris was chained to a wall by the neck and his arms were pinned to his sides with iron bars. He had been kept in that same position for 12 years. What? Yeah, there's actually a image, like an illustrated image that you can find of him online. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. Oh. And then we have another one. Another famous case was that of Anna Stone. One of the inspectors was quoted as saying, one can hardly imagine a human being in a more degraded and brutalized condition than that in which I found this female. The woman, Anna Stone, had been found naked, filthy, and chained with several others against the wall of a damp, dark stone cell. Yeah, I had heard about her case before. I hadn't heard about the other one. Oh my gosh. You'll have to look it up. Yeah. If you just, if you just look up, I think just look his name. Um, James Norris and Bedlam, it'll probably come right up. Um, yeah. But I mean, imagine the... if you sit, like, if you sit for your job all day. I Let's just think about that. I am that. miserable. Like, yeah. I mean, you, okay, you get up to go to the bathroom, uh, maybe take a lunch, but okay, let's say eight, eight and a half hours in a chair is already bad enough when you think about, okay, you start to develop back issues or your neck and shoulders start to, you know, you experience pain and stuff. But the fact that 12 years in the same freaking position, I, that I, I would have been driven mad. I couldn't sleep with dreads in my hair. So like, the dreads, what, I couldn't, I, I can't, I can't, like, if I can't move my neck around, like, oh, pretty yeah. regularly, because I have neck issues and back issues, like, same. Yeah. I, imagine how immobile you would become and the pain that would resonate from that. I, oh man. Yeah. I'm not on board with anybody or anything being chained. Like I have a hard time with, I just don't, people who chain up their dogs and leave the dogs outside. Sorry if you're one of those people, but sorry, not sorry. We've, we've done too many readings. (laughs) We've just, we've researched too much now that weird things that just, it gets to us. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I can't wrap my head around this. Like, yeah. So back to the inspections, because as much as as terrible as that coming to light was, it actually forced some change, finally forced some change. Um, Because those inspections were so well documented and publicized, it forced reform by exposing the inhuman and horrific treatment of the unfortunate people who were locked in Bedlam's walls. So by 1815, the asylum was torn down and a new psychiatric hospital was built 
in a different location at St. George's Fields in Southwark. And then by 1845, the Lunacy Act was created, which prior to this, there was no documentation. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. they weren't keeping good records, probably for good reason. Right. But this development of the Lunacy Act, it required that all asylums keep an admission book with a record of demographic information, details on diagnosis, cause of the disorder, and the age when the patient was first afflicted. They were also supposed to include data like their discharge date, date of death, and whether or not the patient recovered. And that finally forced some accountability which is a really good thing. Yeah. Um, I have a question on that. Sure. When you were doing research on that, did you ever come across any notes that kind of gave percentages on if people actually did leave, if they were, um, in quotes, cured? Well, I do have a bit of information for you at the end that I'll share with okay. you about where you can actually see some patient case files. Cool. Okay. They're not pre this act, unfortunately. So I think the numbers for, um, I know that on the original site where the Liverpool station is that they uncovered, it's like around 300 bodies. Mm. But this would have been, I don't think it would have been as bad as like this time period. This time period was much, 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 much worse. And the original site was small. It was like a, mm-hmm. a small location. So, yeah, I don't I don't know. But um, I don't know. A lot how of those. I, yeah. Mean, once you were in, you never left. I mean, that was the end for you. Yeah. And just the another thing that I found, too, which will kind of lead into next the next episode is there was a doctor here during the same time period before the reform happened that. He was obsessed with understanding um, the brain and like how the brain affected madness or how the madness affected the brain. Mm -hmm. And when patients would die, like families wouldn't even claim them. They wouldn't come to get the bodies. So this doctor would just use them for dissection purposes and just for self-study. Ooh. Yeah. So that was a thing because, um, you know, it was really difficult to come by cadavers yeah. at the time, which we're going to talk about in the next episode. Um, it's going to be okay. a very good episode. <laughs> I'm so excited for that one. I have some really fun, some interesting facts that will make you change the way you think about certain things. But Ooh. anyways, OK, back to back to the Lunacy Act. It was actually reformed again in 1853, and that reform required that parish medical officers visit all the paupers in the area four times a year. And this person's job was to assess people who were in need of treatment. And if any were thought to need treatment in the asylum, then Hmm. an admission would be certified by a medical officer and the justice of the peace. So there were multiple checks and balances before somebody was admitted, which is great because we know that wasn't happening (laughs) prior to that. Right. I think that probably curtailed a lot of that, of people just sending their Uncle Charles to the asylum or their wife. 
um, for the sake of convenience. Right. The reform actually essentially closed the book on Bedlam's macabre history and ushered in a new era. Uh, now I'll refer to it by its proper name. Bethlehem Hospital uh, is still in operation today and is now considered a state-of-the-art psychiatric hospital located in Beckenham, Kent. Oh, Bedlam's dark history will remain in the past, but if you're ever in the area and you want to check out this piece of macabre history, you can actually visit Bethlehem Psychiatric Hospital without a reservation, but this will only give you access to their Museum of the Mind, which promotes the understanding of mental illness, treatment and recovery through its displays and exhibitions. You were talking about the cases. So mm -hmm. if you go to their website, they have a whole section on patients. And it's later in history. It's like um, closer to, it's like late 1800s. So like 1890s, that area, you know, when they were having to keep more documentation, you can actually go look at patients' files. And me being the nerd that I am and like wanting to know things, I was just kind of <laughs> looking through them, like at the ages of people. And I found this one case in particular, this woman, she was admitted and just kind of reading her conditions and she had had a baby, but the condition was kind of onset after she had a tooth removed. Oh. And then I was like, what did they do at that time? Like I was trying to find out like if there was any connection and they used chloroform. Oh. And so I was like, what happens if you use too much chloroform? It causes brain damage. Yep. So they didn't understand that at the time, right? But it, mm -hmm. everything in her file is like, oh, they gave her too much chloroform. And so it caused brain damage. So it's just oh these things gosh. like that were happening and no one really was able to make a connection. And obviously once you have brain damage, like it's really hard to come back from that depending on like how extensive it was. And it's not like they had, you know, um, what do you call it? Is it occupational therapy, physical yeah. therapy, all of the above? Exactly. They didn't have any of that. Oh it's, my gosh. It, it's worth taking a look at if you're interested. Go to, just go to type in Bedlam and, or Beth, Bethlehem Hospital and you can literally read through patient files. Pretty fascinating. Yeah, very. But yeah, pretty macabre history of Bedlam, humans being terrible to humans all the dark things. And really my takeaway from this is it's important to look into these dark places sometimes because it helps us to have a better understanding of human nature and yeah. gives us more empathy. And um, Winston Churchill said it best when he said, those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So yes. now that we have these standards in place and you know, I, I don't know exactly what goes on in asylums now, but at least I hope that it's not like this and exactly that we can move away from that. Oh, the patient's name is Ada Jane Warren. Ada J. Warren. Okay. Ada Jane Warren. So if you look her up in their patient files, I think it was around 1890. Okay. Uh, it was yeah. after the extraction of her tooth that she started having all these symptoms. That's crazy. And she did not recover. So it tells you like whether oh. they recovered or whatever. She did not recover. That is so sad. 
And I, I have to say too, like preach Churchill, because seriously, things have to be brought to light. We have to acknowledge that these things existed because if we try to forget them or we just let this shit slide, yeah, it will definitely repeat itself and we need to we need to be doing our research. We need to keep learning because without that, Mr. Churchill knew what he was talking about. We're just going to yeah. repeat ourselves. Well, and it happened in it happened in the US, you know, yeah. and happened I think there was one asylum, I can't remember the name of it, but it was shut down like Geraldo Rivera went in and did a yes. whole expose and that was like the kids. I can't remember the name of it, but um I can't either, but that Again, interesting episode. History was just repeating itself. Like when you mm -hmm. don't have those checks and balances in place, and people just you know turn an eye to that. And I don't know why people want to be horrible to kids and other people. Like I don't, I don't understand that. But... Disgusting human beings. So yeah, that is the macabre history of Bedlam. Hopefully, I did it a little bit of justice. <laughs> Hopefully, you learned a thing or two. Maybe stuff you didn't want to know. But here we are. That's what we do. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I did not know some of those details. I am still shocked. Yeah. Rotational therapy. Nope. No way. And kids, you're getting a candy when we go see your Uncle Charlie. <laughs> Merry frickin' Christmas. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. Well, before we wrap the episode, we should tell people where to find us. Definitely um, the best thing you can do right now since we are newbies at this. We're full disclaimer, full disclosure. We are yes. not professionals. We're not professional no. podcasters. You might Please hear a fur baby. <laughs> you might hear a fur baby in the background once in a while because I yeah. have a dog and Blair has a kitty cat. I have or... several cats. Okay. So you may hear a choir of cats every once in a while. Let's hope not. But, you know, they do it. <laughs> yeah, my dog is currently snoozing soundly, but uh, to be honest with our listeners, we started this very, very early in the morning. So Yes. <laughs> so the fur babies are a little bit more quiet this time of day, which is great. <laughs> yes, they're taking their nappy naps. <laughs> okay, so I got derailed again. Okay, where to find us? <laughs> um, you're going to find us at Macabre Pod on the internet. Yeah. So just our website, Macabre Pod. Um, if you want to share like topic ideas or we're still looking for hometown macabre stories, we have a speak pipe on the webpage, which will allow you to even record a story if you want to tell it in your own words for up to five minutes. If it's beyond that, you might just have to send in a second one. There's no restriction as far as that goes. Um, you can shoot us an email at thatsomacabre at gmail.com. And macabre is M-A-C-A-B-R-E. That's so macabre at gmail.com. Please leave us a positive rating on yes. iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts, because that really helps us to get more exposure and you know how it works, the algorithms and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Um, we love to hear from you. Yes, please. And if there's something that you think we could do better, we want to hear that from you, too. So please shoot us an email. We'd love to earn your five-star review. So Yeah. Exactly. And honesty is very well respected. We yes. need that. We want that. <laughs> but please be kind. Please be gentle with us. We're new. <laughs> but if you made it this far, uh, I think we have some exciting things coming up. 
uh, next next episode is C. C yeah. for cadaver. C for Absolutely. cadaver. So I'm we're going to get even more creepy. Um, and then you've got, what's your D? What's your oh, D? Episode? D is for Dracula. Okay. And a lot of people might be audibly groaning right now, but hey, hear me out. A lot of people don't know the backstory of Dracula, and it is actually pretty freaky. Almost further, more freaky than the novel. Further back than what I think most people think it goes back to. Yeah. It is not just your very infamous household name, Bloodsucker. It is quite intriguing. I'm excited for that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I hope you're ready. All right. Well, thanks, listeners. We don't have a we don't have a tagline yet other than um, thanks for listening. And please leave us a rating and a comment. And we will continue to try to satisfy your earworms. Heck yeah. Later.